The world is full of so much bad news. It's, it's just a blessing to all of us to be able to come together and celebrate that there is good news. Part of the, the, just the darkness and the heaviness and the depression that sits on so many people's lives is that they're not in control of their own lives. They find instead that they are divided within. And the good they want to do, they're not able to do. And the evil that they don't want to do, they find themselves enslaved to it. And that's a common experience. People wrestling with themselves. We all know what that's like. We've all done that from time to time. Maybe you're dealing with that right now. The Christian gospel brings good news because it says that God does not remain distant from us, but he comes near even within us to transform our lives in a radical way. When I say radical, I mean that in the strict sense of the term. We're talking about getting to the root of our lives. At the very root of our being, God comes and dwells with us and changes us, changes us from the inside out. He does this by being personally present in the Holy Spirit. And so the good news is good news because God has sent his spirit to live with us and in us. And I want to begin a series of messages on the Holy Spirit this morning. There's a lot of ground to cover. I don't know how many weeks this is going to take. I want us to take enough time to reflect on the ministry of the Holy Spirit among us. Now, what I'm not going to delve into are some complicated theological questions regarding the Trinity. That would be worthwhile, but I'm not going to focus on that. The fact is there is one God who is known in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equally God, equally the one God, and yet Though we can't divide the three persons, we do distinguish them. If that seems mysterious to you, it's mysterious to me. There's a lot of discussion among theologians on how best to state the doctrine of the Trinity, but we're not going to focus there. We're going to focus on the role of God the Holy Spirit working among us and in us. And you might think of the Holy Spirit very simply as God's presence and power because God comes on the scene, personally on the scene, and comes with his power to save, to deliver, to guide, to heal. And he comes by his Spirit. And it's because God comes by the Spirit that there's hope for everyone, that the gospel is good news. Too many people think the gospel is good advice. It is good advice, but that's not the heart of it. The heart of it is it's a message of what God has done through Jesus Christ and of what God does through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives right now. So there's a lot to cover and a lot to talk about. But let's get back to that that common human condition, that divided heart, that that propensity in all of us to do what we know is wrong 
and to strive to do what is good and yet find ourselves unable to do it. We all experience that. And if you read the Bible, you see that others in the biblical times experienced the same thing, even those, even those who had great experiences with God. I want to read from Psalm 51. This is a psalm that is ascribed before the first verse to David. Some scholars doubt whether that inscription is in the original text or not, but we'll just take it as David, as from David regardless. So David is a man who knew something of God. He had encountered God, and God had laid his hand on him and been with him through many trials. And David saw great victories because of it, and God had honored David in great ways, and yet David then, David then sinned in the most grievous ways imaginable. And when he is rebuked by the prophet Nathan, he, he humbles himself and begins to beg God for his forgiveness. And he confesses in the midst of this psalm that he has been a sinner from birth, he looked at his life and he realizes there's no purity in him. There's no holiness in him. He looks back and he sees that he has sinned from the beginning. He knows this and he comes to God and he begs for forgiveness. But he also asks for something else. I want to read starting in verse 10. Listen to this. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Look at that, a steadfast spirit. He's praying for a steadfast spirit. He's praying for a willing spirit. And he knows that only God can give him that. Only by the power of God's Spirit can he be a steadfast person, willingly doing the will of God. In himself, he is a sinner from birth. He's gone wrong time and again, and he knows it. And he knows he needs a creative miracle of God. Don't miss, that's what he's asking for, is a miracle. He says, create in me a clean heart. That's the cry of his heart, change me, radically change me. He's crying out, do a miracle in me. Make me a different person. I see a lot of people today, they have no hope. They have no hope whatsoever. They hear all the pep talks from people saying, oh, you can do anything you put your mind to, but they know it's not true for them because they've tried to put their mind to it and they can't do it. They can't live as they know they ought to live. And so they fall into despair. They don't know that there's a God who does miracles and there's a God who creates a pure heart, even in the chest of a sinner. So David, that's the longing of his heart. That's the prayer reaching out to God that God would miraculously, by the power of his spirit, change him on the inside. Now the prophets, the prophets felt the same thing, and they looked forward to a time when God would do exactly that, that he would change the hearts of his people. I want to read to you from Ezekiel. 
chapter 36. Ezekiel is a prophet during the exile. Israel has gone into exile because of her sins. Time and again, God had forgiven her. But again and again, Israel turns to idolatry, turns away from her God. And finally, finally, her sins overwhelm her and she is taken captive. The land is destroyed. Jerusalem is brought down to rubble. There they are in exile, and Ezekiel is among them. And Ezekiel has some harsh words to say to the people, but he also has a word of hope because he sees by the inspiration of the Spirit that God is going to do a new thing in the days to come. Listen to what he says. Ezekiel 36, 25 This is God speaking, but through Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water on you. He's talking to his people, Israel. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart, and note this, and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. A heart of stone is impervious to correction. It is hard and stubborn toward God. He says, I'll take away your heart of stone. I'll give you a new heart. This is that creative miracle. I'll give you a new heart, a heart of flesh that is sensitive to me. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's tremendous. It's not just a word of forgiveness. God is saying that I am going to enter you by my spirit and that hard heart I'm going to replace and give you a heart of flesh. Create in me a clean heart, David prayed. And Ezekiel's saying, that's what God's going to do. He's saying that to this people that had rebelled and now are in exile. That's what God's going to do. Centuries later, there's a man who devoted his life to the study of Scripture. He wanted to be a godly man. And he was a man who obeyed the commandments faithfully. He was a leader among his people. His name was Nicodemus. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is sort of like a combination of of the U.S. Senate and the Cardinals in the Vatican. It's kind of a combination of the two. It's mostly... It mostly has religious authority, but there is some secular authority as well. So Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, is a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, not all Pharisees were hypocrites, and certainly Nicodemus was no hypocrite. He was a man who wanted to be godly. So he hears about this young rabbi, Jesus, this young man who's going about preaching the grace of God and doing, by all accounts, miracles that no one has ever done before. He hears about that, and his own heart leaps 
there's this hope. Is he from God? Is God doing a new thing? No doubt Nicodemus had hopes for his people, but surely he had hopes for himself as well. Didn't he feel what we all feel, the need for a new heart? So he comes to Jesus and he wants to know what Jesus is teaching. He wants to understand his teaching. He wants to to make it part of his life. So I want you to turn to Gospel of John, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, anything in Greek, born from above. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they've been born from above. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again or from above. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? You teach in Israel. You're one of the authorities. Have you not studied the Scripture? Doesn't the Scripture talk about God creating a new heart? Doesn't the Scripture say that God will sprinkle water upon you and cleanse you? that God will give you a new heart, replacing the heart of stone with a heart of flesh? Doesn't he say, doesn't Ezekiel tell us that God's spirit will come to live within us? Nicodemus, have you not even read the scriptures? Don't you realize it's all right there? You should understand this. You should recognize this because what Jesus is announcing is that what David longed for and what the prophets promised was the very thing he was bringing. You shall be born from above, born of the spirit. That which is flesh is flesh. That is merely flesh. Look, we're just flesh and blood, right? We're just, we're just human beings with all the faults and flaws of human beings, and we are sinners from birth. That's who we are. We can't do differently. That's who we are. That's our very nature. So somebody comes along, they say, well, you know, you just need to accept that. You just need to accept your nature. You just need to be true to yourself. And it sounds like a kind word, but it's a word of despair. It's the kind of thing people tell themselves after they've tried a thousand times to change and haven't been able to change. That's when they say that. It's whistling in the dark. 
It's making the best of a bad situation. No, I don't want to just make peace with my chains. I want them broken. I don't want to make peace with that divide in my soul. I want to be transformed by the grace of God. I want a miracle. Lord, create in me a clean heart. I don't want to be mere flesh. I want to come alive in the spirit. Jesus says, Jesus says, that which is born of flesh is only flesh. But if you are reborn by the spirit, well, then you're more than mere flesh. You are a new creation. You are born from above. New things become possible. Now, you know Jesus is referring back to Ezekiel because he says, unless you're born of water in the spirit. Literally in the Greek, it's of water and spirit, one preposition governing the two nouns. So you could read it as of water hyphen spirit. He's talking about, he's talking about one experience and he's looking back to Ezekiel. He's not talking about Christian baptism. You gotta be dunked in water and receive the Spirit. He's not saying that. He's looking back to Ezekiel who said that God is going to sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. He's talking about forgiveness, but also cleansing. And in that same experience, you receive the Spirit. Sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and you will receive the Spirit and your heart of stone will be exchanged for a heart of flesh. God will have done a miracle. That's what Jesus is talking about. And that's what every human being needs, must have. You notice Jesus says, unless you've been born from above, you can't see or enter the kingdom of heaven. That means that every Christian has experienced this and lives in this new spiritual reality, every single one. You know, there's a lot of diversity in the church, a lot of diversity among Christians. We're different colors, we speak different languages, we have different professions. We look and act differently in so many ways, but there's one thing every Christian has in common, and that is they have been born from above by the Holy Spirit. And that changes everything. It changes us on the inside, at the root. Remember, it's a radical change. It is a new birth. It is the beginning of a new life. Now. Understand, it is the beginning of a new life. It is not the whole of it. So we are reborn, and, and you might say the control center of our lives has been changed. There is now a desire to live for God, and in fact, a new sensitivity to God, and a new ability to choose to follow God but we receive all of that in a war zone. There are temptations, there are pressures. We still deal with this fallen flesh. And so it can be a struggle. It's not like it's all automatic. That's why the Bible talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us to live a different way of life. And that's a process. And in the weeks ahead, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about how we not only are reborn by the Spirit, but we keep in step with the Spirit. That's very, very important. But let's begin with the first things first, and that is we must be born of the Spirit. 
We must first have come alive. Otherwise, everything we do, everything we do is futile. Think about Nicodemus. I mean, here's a man, he's educated in the Word of God. He's a good man. He's seeking to follow God as best he can. And, get this, and he believes that Jesus is doing the supernatural. He says, we've heard what you've done. We know that nobody can do what you're doing unless God's with him. In other words, he believes that Jesus has spiritual power, that Jesus can do amazing things. He believes all of that. But he hasn't experienced that touch of Jesus. See, he hasn't experienced it. Unfortunately, I think that's true for a lot of people in the church. You know, people start talking about, well, you know, among Christians, you find these problems and these problems and these and these, and, and no doubt. I mean, we're just flesh, right? Not just flesh. Let me, let, me, let me cancel that. Let me edit that. Not just flesh, not mere flesh. We are flesh that has been invaded by new life, okay? But without overdrawing it, I don't want to overemphasize this because there in, in no sense does does the gospel promise that we will be able to walk in perfection? I'm not pretending that. But I think a lot of what gets ascribed to Christians is better ascribed to church people because the church is a mixed multitude of people who have been born again, who've experienced the the power of the Spirit, And those who say, yeah, 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 I guess Jesus does have that power. And they know some things, but they haven't experienced it. The reason I say that is because the Bible makes very clear, if you've received the Spirit, it will change your life. won't make you perfect overnight. There'll be a lot of ups and downs, but it will change your life. If there's no change in life, then, well, there's not been a new birth. And so that's very important to to recognize. It all begins with the new birth. And it may be that you have real doubts about whether you have been changed in this way. I'd be glad to talk with you. Other ministers on our staff would be glad to talk with you. Our deacons would be glad to talk with you. Our life group leaders would be glad to talk with you, pray with you. If that's the case, nobody's pointing the finger. I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm just saying that you may, you may be thinking, I'm not so sure that I've received the Spirit. I'm not so sure I've been born from above. Well, you can be. That's the good news, and I hope you will be. Now, at the same time, when I say this, I don't want to inject a fear in the heart of Christians who can sometimes be very hard on themselves. For example, I know Christians that wonder if they're really saved because they can't remember a time when they received Christ. Are you one of those? In every church, there are people who say, you know, I can't ever remember being born again. I'm not sure if I was because of that. Well, that's a good question. It's something good to think through, to pray through, maybe talk with someone else about. But, but let, me, let me compare it with this. I, I was... Before the service, I was thinking, okay, I'll just talk about someone who's been married for a long time. And while I was sitting over here, it occurred to me, I've actually been married almost 44 years. So I think I qualify as somebody who's been married a long time. So when did I first fall in love with Linda? When did I first fall in love with Linda? I am not sure. 
Now look, I can, you know, from in hindsight, I can look back and I can remember in the 11th grade when I first saw her and, you know, there was this little leap and interest, but I don't know that I'd call love. I wasn't ready to say, Linda, let's stay, get married and have children together. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> uh, and then in our senior year, we sat next to each other, you know, a little flirtation going on. But, but you know, you don't really know what that is while it's happening. You're not quite sure. But we begin to date, and, and there comes a point there comes a point when you're all in. You're all in. Now, I know people who can look back and tell you when they were all in, when it happened, but I can't tell you exactly the moment when I was all in. But let me tell you, I'm all in. I'm all in and have been for 44 years. And that doesn't mean I remember the time, and it doesn't mean it's always been wonderful. Because it hasn't always been. We've had our ups and downs. Days when it's pretty much hard to talk to each other, let alone say anything nice to each other. You know? You have your ups and downs. But here's what you've got. You've got this, this undercurrent. We're in it together. We're in it together. You are committed, and you know that, and that's not changing ever. Because we're in love, and we love each other. All the ups and downs. Same way, you're born again, born by the Spirit. Can you remember just when? Well, that's not, so much the, that's not so much the problem. A lot of people, when they grow up in church, little children, you know, they don't know when they first came to believe in Jesus. As far as they know, they've always believed in Jesus. They may have said a prayer at vacation Bible school, but they may have believed in Jesus before they said that prayer. You see what I'm saying? You may not know just when. And you've had your ups and downs, but here's the thing. Your heart has been fastened on the Lord through it all. Sometimes it means you have felt such shame and frustration because you've fallen short. But you've fallen short of the Lord you love. And that shame and frustration energizes your resolve to repent and turn to him. That's the life of God in you. That's the life of God in you doing that. Other times... You know, you're able to overcome things you never thought you could overcome. Other times you think, I have struggled with this same thing for years. But you know what? You haven't said to yourself, well, that's okay. I'll just make peace with it. This is just the way I am. No, you've never fallen in love with your chains because, because you've been born from above. And the Spirit of God in you won't let you make peace with your chains. Don't get discouraged because you're not perfect. The Spirit of God in you is moving you toward final redemption. But be sure the Spirit of God has come within you. If your idea of Christianity is just an idea, if it's just a notion, it's just a philosophy of life, please, please, please open your life to the power and presence of God and do it this morning. Do it this morning. That's the good news. He's here. He's ready to change you. Amen. Would you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to bear our sins, and we're thankful that the exalted Christ has poured out the Holy Spirit on us all, and that is our hope, that is our life, our new life. Thank you for that. Thank you for the cleansing. Thank you for the new power. Thank you for the hope that we have. And Lord, may you now, for any here present who've not yet come to know you, Lord, may they receive you now. And may everyone here, every Christian here, open their hearts to the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, to your love, to your cleansing, to your empowering. You give us everything we need for life and godliness, and we thank you for that. And we wish to worship you.